I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And if you need a Bible this morning, you can take the one that's in front of you and you'll find Acts chapter 2 on page 909. As you're turning to Acts, some of you may be asking in your mind, why are we going to Acts chapter 2? We started a series on the minor prophets. We looked at Obadiah. We finished up Obadiah last week. In a couple weeks, we're going to pick up Joel. We're going to continue the series of the minor prophets. So why are we looking at Acts and why are we doing that uh, today? Well, I think that's a really great question. I'm really glad that several of you have asked that question. Obviously, you're paying attention this morning. I appreciate that. Let me give you the answer to that question. The answer is twofold. First, it's this, that uh, when we study God's word and particularly study the Old Testament prophets, Uh, and particularly the minor prophets, uh, meaning they're just shorter books, it's important for us to make sure that we understand how our whole Bible fits together. That it's not just God's word coming to us as, oh, here's some some sayings of God and things and wisdom you should follow. And oh, here's some sayings of God and wisdom you should follow. And they're in all these different books. But that we would understand that what's taking place is that God is writing his story through human history. And that all of it's connected that all of it has a a specific purpose and that we might grasp that even as we look at these Old Testament passages and these minor prophets, that we might see in the New Testament where those have been explained to us, that we can see them fulfilled and we can understand what that means for us today. This past Friday morning, I got to spend several hours with a dear friend whom some of you know, Chuck Jacob. He was a pastor here for a little while, um, years and years and years ago. And then went to uh, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan at Knox Presbyterian Church. And then for the last, I guess, six or seven years has been at the Church of the Good Shepherd over in Durham, North Carolina. And we had uh, many cups of coffee and long conversation. And during that time, at some point, we started talking about personal mission statements. And Chuck shared with me what he says his personal mission statement is right now. He said it keeps evolving. He said, Todd, I think that I exist to communicate the heart of God to the people of God through the word of God. And I thought to myself as he said that, man, I just love that. I love that because that's what God's word does. What God's word does is it communicates the heart of God to the people of God, the heart of God to you and me. That's what Obadiah does. That's what the book of Joel does. That's what the minor prophets do. That's what we're going to see here in Acts. What Acts does for us today is it communicates the heart of God to the people of God. And not only that, but that what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, what's taking place here, he's writing actual events that reveal to us the heart of God for us today. And isn't that what we want? Don't you want to know the heart of God for you today? Well, with that in mind, let's look and follow along as I read from Acts chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 21. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together, that's the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. 
because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, oh, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your younger men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word this morning, we would ask that you would speak to us, that you would fill us, fill this place with the spirit that we might understand your heart, your heart for your people, your heart for us. Father, please speak for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think it's important for us to have somewhat of the context here, just to remind ourselves, this is, as Luke writes, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. That's why it's Pente, 50, Pentecost. And by the time uh, that Luke is writing, that's what they called this, this day or this time, Pentecost. It was actually the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Harvest there in um, the Jewish religions. And it was a very high and important feast. And so many Jews uh, and those who were proselytes, those who had converted to Judaism, came from all over the Roman Empire to be in Jerusalem for this extremely important feast. And so there they are. And now for the disciples, uh, the resurrection has happened several weeks earlier. And then just 10 days prior to this moment, Christ has ascended into heaven, the risen resurrected Christ has ascended into heaven and right before he ascended he said this he looked at his disciples and said but you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea the surrounding area and in Samaria the people you don't like and to the very ends of the earth you're going to be my witnesses and I'm going to bring you that power And so these disciples, and it seems from what Luke is saying in chapter 1, that there's about 120 of those who are followers of Christ, of course the 12 apostles, uh, but then the, uh, the, the others there, they're meeting, they're praying, 
They're wondering, <laughs> what's, what's next? What, God, what is God going to do? He promised this spirit. What does that mean? And then suddenly, as they're meeting and praying, there comes upon them, they said, this sound like a mighty rushing wind. Every time I read that, I've lived through a couple of straight line windstorms in Memphis. Some of you have too, right? Where it kind of shakes your house. You can, you can hear the wind. It's so strong and powerful. You're pretty sure a tree's about to fall over. You can sense that. I imagine this mighty wind sweeping through this room or it feels like this, this noise, this rushing wind. And then, and then it what appears like small little tongues of fire coming to rest on each head of all of those who are in the room. And as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin these common Galileans, they begin speaking not just in Babel. They're not just doing some kind of, you know, funky spiritual language. No, they're actually speaking in languages that they've never learned. And filled with the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in the languages of the people who are there in Jerusalem. And clearly, there's a point at which they, they go out and start telling of the mighty works of God. They leave that room. And as people start to gather, these Galileans, these, these disciples, they start, they start sharing the mighty works of God in the languages of these people. Now, most of the people around the Roman Empire knew some Greek. That was the common language. But each of them came from a certain place and they were hearing their own language spoken, the mighty works of God. And they said, what does this mean? What in the world does this mean? You know, and some of them, some of the critics are like, well, no, they're, they're drunk. That's what's happening. And Peter responds. Peter stands up and responds and says, hey, we're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And then he goes on and he starts by opening up his Bible, right? The Old Testament was the Bible that they would have had. And he goes to Joel chapter 2. And, and here in Acts 2, in verse 16, it, it, uh, it says this is what was spoken about. Literally, literally in the Greek, it says this is the thing. I love the way the New King James uh, translates it. This, Peter says, is that. <laughs> this that's happening right now is that that you see in Joel chapter 2. So let's unpack that this morning. Because I think it's important for us to, to understand how is this, how is this moment with the Holy Spirit, how is this the fulfillment of Joel 2? And maybe as we understand that, that we would understand what does God want us to know about his Holy Spirit coming? And ultimately, like we already said, that we might know the heart of God for us today. There's three things I want us to see in the text this morning. Three things that happen when the Holy Spirit is given. The first thing is this. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and from that point on, things were different, there was first a new relationship. There was a new relationship with God. Friends, the, old, the, the, the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was there prior to Christ's death on the cross and the resurrection. But the way the Holy Spirit was back then was different. There was two ways the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament prior to Christ's resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit at the Pentecost. The first way was just that the Holy Spirit was present among God's people. The Bible talks, the Old Testament talks about how God's Spirit will be there to protect you. God's Spirit will be there to fight for you. God's Spirit was among them. Certainly the, the, the picture that they had that was actually a real phenomenon that was taking place this, when they were in Exodus or exiting from 
are leaving from uh, Egypt to go to the promised land. Remember, they were led by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And they could see the presence of God. And then the presence of God would come to rest on the temple. The presence of God, the Spirit of God, was among them. That, That let them know that. And the other way was that there were special anointings. There were certain There were certain kings and priests and prophets that we see in the Old Testament who received a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. Certainly every writer of the Old Testament books was anointed by the Holy Spirit. God's word tells us that. But even some scholars would would say, would argue that 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 presence, that anointing of the Holy Spirit was even temporary. It was only for a, a special purpose in that moment. But even as they prophesied, Joel said... Joel prophesied, God is going to pour out his spirit on all, on everyone. The prophet Ezekiel, he's not a minor prophet, his book is really long. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied that the spirit of God would come and and there at the valley of dry bones, this, this great picture of God's spirit bringing to life those who are dead. And ultimately meaning those of us who are dead in our sin and trespasses. And so the Spirit of God was promised to come to all, but they weren't sure what that would mean exactly. And yet now it's happened. And Peter says, this, what you're seeing right now, is that what is in Joel. That's what's happening. So what's different? What's different about this new relationship with God than it was with the Old Testament? What's different at the day of Pentecost and from there forward? Well, two things. First of all, this new relationship that we have with God is not just God's presence among us. It's personal. It's deeply personal. You see there, the tongues of fire. The fire doesn't, and we don't, Luke doesn't tell us, was there this flame that entered the room and then divided itself into these tongues of fires that came to rest upon each head? We don't know exactly. We do know this. It rested on each one. So you think of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament coming to rest there in the presence of the temple among the people. But now, but now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, those who have put your faith in Christ, and each one receives the Spirit of God. It's deeply, deeply personal. Not just among us, but in us. Think about that for a second, brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God is not just among you this morning. But if you've put your faith in Christ, it's in you. The Spirit of God is in you. Not only, that is it, not only is it personal, but it's without distinction. Without distinction, notice... What, in verses 17 and 18 of Acts chapter 2, as, they, as Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then it goes on, your sons, your daughters, your young men, your old men, your male servants, your female servants. You see, in the Old Testament, the special anointing was for special people, special people anointed to be a priest, to be a prophet, to be a king. But here, the spirit comes on every single one of them without distinction and, Peter, and, and here, Peter's making the point of what Joel prophesied, and that's this. It's going to be on men and women. It's going to be on old people. It's going to be on young people. 
It's not even going to matter what your socioeconomic status is. You see that in the Joel prophecy? It's not just for important people and culture. It's for the least of these. I'm going to pour out my spirit on every single one who calls upon the name of the Lord without distinction. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your status is in society. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you feel like you're the least of these. The spirit of God comes to rest on everyone without distinction. And you see, brothers and sisters here, there's no earthly or cultural distinction that will keep the spirit of God from dwelling in us. Nothing. Nothing. All Christians, not just special Christians, all of you who put your faith in God can know the intimacy that comes from being there in the moments of prayer and being before God's word. All of you can know that. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for theologians. It's not just for those people who have, who have been a long time a follower of Christ. No, once you come to know Christ, the spirit of God comes to dwell in you. You see, all Christians have the Holy Spirit in them. And all those who have the Holy Spirit in them are Christians. It comes personally without distinction. And as I've said so many times before, this is the same spirit that came to rest upon Christ as he began his ministry as he was baptized, as the Holy Spirit descended upon him. There's not two Holy Spirits. There's not 15 Holy Spirits. There's not 30 million Holy Spirits. There's one Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of God that rests in you. It's the same spirit as Christ. It's what Christ promises. When, remember we looked at it during Holy Week. All the different pastors teaching, excuse me, preaching from uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And Jesus spoke so much there to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, it's going to be better if I leave. Because when I leave, I get to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And they didn't get it. They could say, how could it be better? How could it be better? to not have Christ among us. And Christ said, because he's gonna be, I'm gonna be in you. I'm not just gonna be among you. My spirit's gonna be in you. The spirit of God is going to be in you. Brothers and sisters, there's a new relationship. Secondly, there's a new power. There's a new power that is in us. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus had said to his disciples, but you're going to receive power. And then it happened. You notice the comment that, that they make as they ask questions, the people that are hearing it. This is in verse 7. They're astonished. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? And I don't know if, if, you, if you knew this, but Galilean, it was just, it was kind of, it was not kind of, it was derogatory. Because Galileans had this weird accent that hardly anybody could understand because they couldn't, they couldn't make guttural sounds. So half the time you're listening to a Galilean, you're like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. You know, like, try again, speak slower, you know. And, they, and, and people didn't think of them as being very distinguished, very sophisticated, very educated. They didn't speak right. And yet the power comes, the power comes, and they began, these Galileans with the awful accent, speaking in other people's native languages. And the power comes, and these who were afraid, who were, who were, who were 
uh, fearful during the, the, the crucifixion and all of them scattered during the crucifixion. There they are going out in the city and going and speaking to these people that they don't know and telling these people that they don't know the mighty works of God. And not only that, then Peter, well, seeing Peter stand up is not really surprising, right? Because we see he's always trying to stand up, right? That's, that's not shocking. What is shocking? The other 12, it says the disciples stood with him. They stood with him. And while maybe it's not shocking that Peter speaks up, stands up and starts speaking because he's done that before, what is shocking and what is the display of power is the sermon he gives because this guy who has bumbled almost everything he said in all of the Gospels gets up and spontaneously gives this amazing sermon. This is the power of God. Later in Acts chapter Four. In fact, turn over. You've got to see this in Acts chapter 4. This is later as the, their ministry begins to go out. They begin sharing the gospel. The, the 3,000 people are going to be saved on that first day of Pentecost. And they're preaching there in Jerusalem. And Peter and John are brought before, before the council, before the high priest, before the Sadducees. And there they are. They're questioning them. And look what it says in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And when they had set them, that's Peter and John... In their midst, that's the council, they inquired. Look at their question. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he goes on and gives a short version of the sermon that he gave on the day of Pentecost. But then look down at verse 13. Peter's now done with his sermon, and this is what happens. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But you see, brothers and sisters, it wasn't, they didn't get it quite right. Yes, they had been with Jesus. But see, now the Spirit of God was dwelling in them. The text tells us, Luke tells us, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why. So that power, you see it? This power, is that what Joel spoke about? This is that moment. And brothers and sisters, that power is in you right now. Right now, that same power that was in Peter and John in that moment is in you right now. It's in you. So anytime, anytime we display, see displayed among the people of God here at Second Presbyterian Church, moments where you see something, you see someone speak with a wisdom from the Spirit and you go, wow, that's amazing. Or, or you see an act of, of service or kindness and you see someone serve in a certain way. You recognize how they're, 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 they're caring for the body of Christ and, and you can see it and you're moved by what you see. Do you understand? That this that you see at Second Presbyterian Church, when you see God working, is that what we see in Acts chapter 2? It's the power of God working among us. When you see that happen, it's, it's what you're seeing in Joel chapter 2. When it says it's going to be men, it's going to be women, it's going to be old people, it's going to be young people, it's going to be people from all different socioeconomic status. It's not going to matter <laughs> ultimately where you go to college. When it comes to the Spirit of God working through you, it's not going to matter what kind of status you've attained, what kind of certain cultural respect you've attained. You understand the Spirit comes to every one of us personally with power in us 
to do God's ministry, to God's mission. Here they were. What appeared to the Sanhedrin, these uneducated, common men, saw their boldness and said, gosh, these guys, I think they've been with, with Jesus. And that same power that's in you, you say, power for what, Todd? Power for what? Well, certainly in the text here today, it's power for a witness. It's power for you to walk across the street to your neighbors and share the love, the heart of God, the heart of God for them. Brothers and sisters, it's power for obedience. I know some of you feel overwhelmed with sin in your life. You feel it's besetting. You feel like the temptations that you're facing, that you don't have the power. I'm telling you, you do. God's word tells you you do. God's power to overcome those things is resting resting in you and you can say, Lord, help me. Spirit of God, help me. Help me. And that power is in you. The power to love sacrificially. You say, no, I'm so selfish. I gotta guard things. I gotta keep things safe. I gotta be safe. My family's gotta be safe. I can't do that. I can't be bold. I can't, I can't make, take these risks. I'm too afraid. And I'm telling you, there's power in the spirit that is in you. There's power in you to love sacrificially, to take those risks, to trust God with your safety, to trust God's with your family's safety. Power is in you. Power is in you to face suffering. You say, I don't know, I could do that. I, I couldn't face what's going on with the people in Ukraine, like the people and the Christians in Ukraine are facing. I couldn't face what's going on in China. I, I, I don't know if that, if that happens to me. I, can't, I can hardly face being left out of a party or being left, being, feeling like I'm disrespected or people think, listen, you can. The power is in you. The spirit rests in you. And you have in you the power to endure suffering, you have the power to be faithful. Am I gonna be faithful to the end? Yes, the Lord's power is in you. Even the power to choose joy, even the power to know peace. A new power in us. And finally, friends, there is for us a new humanity when the Spirit comes. There's a new humanity when the Holy Spirit comes. There, there is a new understanding of what it means to be human. In Joel chapter 2, and well, here it quoted, verse 17, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then in verse 21, and it came to pa- come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, what is that? What is the all? What is the, what is the everyone? What does that mean? Well, there's a little clue here, actually a big clue, by what the Holy Spirit does on the day of Pentecost. And you see it there in verses 9 through 11. You see the amount of languages that must have been listed here? The fact that the Holy Spirit's first act when the indwelling for all believers came was to make sure that, that, that the communication, that the heart of God from the word of God would go to the people of God happened because they were given the ability to speak in these different languages. God is saying, when I mean all, I mean all. I mean all ethnicities. I mean all cultures. When I say everyone, I mean everyone. Now we know from our Bibles that Peter doesn't quite get this yet. We'll find out later in Luke that the Holy Spirit still has some things to teach Peter about what that all means. Because in his mind, he was just thinking all Jews. 
And God's Spirit's going to say, no, when I mean all, I mean all. When I mean everyone, I mean everyone. But Luke understands. Luke, who's writing this, he knows what's to come because he writes about it. He knows what's meant by all and by everyone here. Paul spoke about this quite a bit in his epistles. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Maybe some of you memorized this when you first came to know Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation, a new humanity. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says that Christ through his cross has broken down the wall of hostility and he's made from the two men, and that's he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He says, I made both of them one new man. One new family. One new man. One new humanity is being made by what's taking place when the application of God's love demonstrated through the cross is applied to our hearts by the indwelling Holy Spirit. One new man. I know most of you, maybe all of you, except for maybe my wife in here, uh, don't realize that I'm, I'm very Swedish. I discovered this this last, uh, about six months ago when my brother and my dad and I went up to uh, Rockford, Illinois to, to uh, bear, I was reminded of this. I didn't discover this. I knew this all along. I was reminded of this. We went to bury my mom up at the cemetery up there in uh, Rockford, Illinois. And uh, I, re- I was reminded, wow, I'm, we are really Swedish. A little bit Norwegian, um, which my mom always, you know, groaned about because it came from my dad. But but a lot. I mean, just, it, and that's all we got. All we got is Swedish or Norwegian. There's, no, there's nothing else going on there. Um, and when I went to Rockford, uh, you know, back in the day, Rock River th- runs through the middle of Rockford. Back in the day, the, the west side of the city was all Italian. The east side of the city was like all Swedish and Norwegian. They used to say that the bridge, which is only like, I mean, it's not even a quarter of a mile over the Rock River. They say it's the longest bridge in the world because you can drive from Sweden to Italy there in Rockford, Illinois. I'm up there visiting. This is years, I mean, this is, you know, just last uh, a few months ago. And I'm telling you, man, every, it's like, wow, this is just a little Sweden world here. And uh, my, my mom is buried in the Scandinavian cemetery. That's what it's called. That's the name of it. We were only there for three days. Twice we ate at the Stockholm Inn because that's where we're going to eat. And then last night we ate at the Norwegian house. And uh, I'm like, wow, we are just, and we had, we had, ooh, we had Swedish pancakes with lingonberries. I know most of you don't know what that, that is, but I'm telling you, you need to know because we're going to eat it in heaven. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm proud of my Swedish heritage. I really am. I'm, I'm proud of my Swedish Scandinavian ethnicity. I'm even proud of the Norwegian part. I really am. And there's things I don't like. There's things that are quirky. I mean, Swedes and Norwegians, like spices didn't make it that far north, apparently. And I'm thankful for the other ethnicities and cultures I've been experiencing that actually have taught me the joy of some spice. And there's some quirky things in the way we communicate and don't communicate and all. I mean, there's a culture. There's a whole culture and ethnicity surrounding the way I grew up. I'm proud of it. But I'll tell you what. It's my ethnicity, but it's not my identity. It's my ethnicity, but it's not my identity. Because Jesus grabbed a hold of me when I was 16 years old. And he saved me, he poured his spirit into me. (laughs) And 
and I got to be part of a new family. I got to be part of that one new man. I got to have you as my brothers and sisters, my fathers and mothers. I got to share a bond with you that I could, I could never accept, except that they were in Christ, if they were in Christ. I could never share with anybody in Rockford, Illinois. Anybody from, from my ethnicity, only, only am I close to them if they, if they too have come to know Christ and have the Spirit of God in them. I know a little bit about them. They know a little bit about me, but by God's strength, by God's power, I am one new man and I am learning every day as you are. If you've given your life to Christ, you're discovering every day what it means to be human. What it means, what your identity means. Not what your truth is. Oh, isn't that silly, my truth? I got some truths and some of them you probably shouldn't follow. They're ridiculous. It's not my truth. It's not my personality. I got a personality. My identity is not my Enneagram. I don't even like my Enneagram <laughs> number. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Because my identity, my, my humanness, is what I have by the Spirit of God. That's for you too. A new relationship, a new power, a new humanity, a new understanding of what it means to be you. This, friends, is the heart of God for you. This <laughs> is that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. I pray that you, by the power of the Spirit, would seal these things to our hearts. That we, the people of God, might know the heart of God through the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.